All right, hello everyone. This is Anthony Diaz with the Pop Health Show. So very excited um, today to, I believe this is our uh, seventh or eighth episode. Um, but uh, my name is Anthony Diaz again, uh, founder and CEO of Health Hero, digital population health company. But this specific show is uh, about all things population health. We talk about fringe health topics, health technology. We talk a variety of different topics, but essentially the show is for anyone that's trying to make more than one person healthy in the world and really interested in uncovering new topics and new methods and processes and technologies uh, of people doing it. And I'm very excited to have on this show Anya Scheiss, if I'm pronouncing your last name right, Anya. Um, maybe you can correct us if it's if it's not. But uh, Anya, I will let you give an introduction about yourself. Obviously, you, you have a you know strong background in uh, um, venture capitalists and health, and a strong background in a variety of uh, from the the provider and payer world. And um, you know, I know you were with the Clinton Initiative as well. But I'll let you give an intro. And uh, just so excited to have you on the show. Thank you, Anya. Yeah, thanks, Anthony. It's great to be here. Um, so I've been in healthcare my whole career, so I guess a little over 20 years at this point. Uh, the first 12 of which were as an operator, uh, mainly some services, but mainly operations from you know startups all the way through uh, Medtronic, so big in Cardinal Health, you know, big Fortune 20, uh, Fortune 50 companies. Um, and you're right, including a stint in public health, actually, at the very, very beginning of the Clinton Foundation, um, when it was called the William Jefferson Clinton Presidential Foundation, and we were just at that point doing HIV AIDS. So this was back in 2002, very different organization than than they've built uh, now. But so that was the first part of my career, been investing since 2008. Uh, initially in life sciences and for the past two years in um, health technology. Great, great. Well, well, Anya, no, that's that's great. Um, really, we appreciate your background and the, the vastness of what you focused on. And obviously, being on the investment world, you get to see, you know, kind of new and emerging topics and trends. Uh, Anya, um, wh- what drew you to to health as a topic in general? What are your what are your, your, your passions in which, you know, why do you look at this space so much? Um, just, just, I'm sure our listeners would love to hear a little bit about, you know, your story of getting, you know, and focusing into health um, as a theme throughout your career? Yeah, I mean, for me, it was really opportunistic. So I had the opportunity, um, actually, when I was in high school to work with a company that was so early stage, you know, it had, I think, one full time employee and a bunch of uh, contractors and stuff. So um, I worked with them for a few years, actually, um, mainly for equity, in fact, (laughs) um, not not even for for cash. Um, and loved the complexity of healthcare, loved um, how much there was to learn on both the science side, you know, to really understand what the technologies are doing. That company was a medical device company, so, you know, more science-y. Um, but also on the kind of uh, macro side, so, you know, big complexities with policy, with payments, with, you know, just sort of how healthcare uh, is delivered in this country, and that... Um, that appealed to me. And, and I think, you know, so many people can probably attest to sort of path dependent change or path dependent evolution, you know, that set me on a path of healthcare, and I've sort of never come off of it. And it's the learning curve has been pretty steep the entire way, which is terrific. That's no, that's, that's great to hear. Um, Anya, that's great to hear. Um, um, obviously, you're, you're the co founder and general partner at Healthy Ventures. 
Um, you, you know, I know most recently before that you were, you know, at Cardinal Health and you've done everything like you were mentioning with Fortune 20 companies like, you know, like Medtronic. Um, you're, you're probably in an interesting spot of this intersection of like the heart of innovation being in San Francisco and how that cross sections with um, health innovation. Um, can you talk about a couple of, you know, topics or spaces and what you're seeing lately uh, that really have you excited in, in health, uh, maybe some big themes and maybe some examples for our listeners that, you know, uh, you know, as these potential topics or theses emerge, you know, they can potentially make a big impact on, on, um, on the health of populations. Yeah. So I think there, there's sort of two answers to that question, really. One is maybe more exactly what you asked, which is just what are the, um, newest technologies and what kind of effects are they having in healthcare? And and I'll get to that. The other, you started it by saying, you know, being in San Francisco. And, and I think that's a really important distinction. I think, you know, in San Francisco, I am lucky enough to see all of the new, you know, latest, greatest things, AI, um, augmented reality, virtual reality, you know, all of those types of CRISPR, you know, all of that. Um, and that will have important effects on healthcare, and I'll talk about that in, in a minute. But I think it's also really important to realize that within healthcare, actually, the sort of centers of healthcare in this country aren't necessarily California. So California is big in life sciences, but you know Nashville, Tennessee, is sort of the seat of in the heart of the provider, um, you know, ecosystem in the U.S. Boston, obviously, for biotech. Um, New York actually emerging for health tech. Uh, New Jersey and kind of the the Boston down to Philly corridor for pharma. So depending on what we're talking about, um, I think the the geography really differs. Um, there are a lot of interesting biopharmaceuticals and actually medical devices that will make a big difference on population health or in population health. And, you know, Propeller Health, for example, based in Madison, Wisconsin. So sort of all over the map. Um, in terms of kind of the, the sexy technologies that we all are hearing a lot about, artificial intelligence, augmented reality, virtual reality, all of that, you know, I think that is having a major effect. Um, augmented reality or virtual reality, for example, uh, tremendous uh, opportunities in things like pain management, um, opioid addiction, et cetera. You, I've seen studies that were relatively small studies, so I don't want to make too much of them, you know, 100, 200 patients, um, but of um, really a tremendous impact in, in pain and reduction in the use of opioids and things like that. And, you know, that's super, super important as that's a huge um, crisis. And I think artificial intelligence to me is more of a how than a what. Um, every company right now, I feel like tries to sell themselves as an artificial intelligence company. And that's fine because if they use AI or machine learning, terrific, they are one, but I'm less concerned with, um, with the fact that they are than what they do. Uh, mm -hmm. and you know, machine learning has tremendous value, uh, in terms of enabling companies to do things better. Great. Uh, 
actually, Anya, I don't, I don't know if the audio cut out for a second there. Uh, can you see, hear me okay? I can, yeah. Okay, great. Um, sorry about that. Yeah, the, the line might be a little choppy, but I think it's okay. Um, now, Anya, uh, this is really good about what you're mentioning about augmented reality and virtual reality. So maybe we can dive a little bit um, on that topic. So, you know, there's, there's a lot of schools of thought that say, okay, you know, augmented reality is going to be such a much larger market uh, than virtual reality. Um, I'd love to hear your thoughts on, you know, on the opioid management and pain management, why this new form factor of reality definition, it almost seems like this, this area of virtual reality and augmented reality is, is almost like a new societal shift that is about to emerge upon us where the definition of reality is, is, you know, in question. But when you're talking about, you know, pain management, opioid management, um, how, how and why would these technologies make a difference um, for patients? I'd love to hear your, your stamp, your, you know, maybe a use case or two on, you know, here's the current state of opioid management. Here's the new state in using AR or uh, VR. Yeah. So my answers are going to be theoretical because I don't know that anybody knows exactly the mechanism of action, right, of why AR or VR in certain applications would work. Um, what they've done is they've witnessed it has worked. And so then they, you know, posit theories as to why that is. And so that's sort of where I'll focus. But um, on the on the pain side, for example, it's more of a distraction technique. So if you, um, so let's take burns. So debriding burns is one of the most painful uh, procedures out there. And so it's one right. where, you know, testing new pain relievers is, is pretty good, both because it's obviously painful, but also because placebo effect tends to be lower in um, those type of pain trials than in other types of pain trials. Placebo effect is a very um, difficult problem in pain trials because you can get these huge placebo effects. So you try to find models where, you know, it's, it's less pronounced. Um, so take debreeding um, wounds. So there is a company down in LA whose name I'm blanking on. They're working with Cedar sinai I'm sure you can just Google that and, and find the company. Um, actually, terrific co-founders, um, multi, multiple successful uh, exits from them. Um, and what they've done is they've basically, they basically use VR as a distraction technique. Mm-hmm. Um, and that results in really large decreases in the amount of um, pain meds that are necessary. And not only decreases in the amounts, but decreases in the um, in the sort of acuity of the pain meds. That's not the strength of the pain med, you know, so you'd go from opioid down to, um, you know, uh, multiple ibuprofens or, or whatever it is. But um, but so that's one example. Um, another example of AR is the diagnosis of Alzheimer's disease, right? And, you know, Alzheimer's disease, we're still working on what the actual mechanisms of Alzheimer's is and in order to be able to treat it pharmacologically. Um, but there is some consensus that if you're going to have a meaningful impact on the disease, you have to be able to treat it fairly early. And, you know, by the time you wait until patients are very symptomatic, uh, it's unlikely you can have a dramatic effect. 
And so being able to diagnose Alzheimer's disease when it's almost pre-symptomatic or, or sub-symptomatic, so, so not some, or subclinical, so not something that, you'd, uh, that would be obvious, you know, could be key. And augmented reality is currently being used. There's a company called Altoida, um, which is, I think, in the Bay Area, but that is screening and diagnosing Alzheimer's and then ultimately would want to use a similar technology to actually treat it and, and retrain um, sort of the brain and, and rewire some of the pathways to, to treat it. So it's really an exciting space. No, that's great. That's great, Anya. No, I appreciate that illustration. Um, what, what do you think are the tipping points that need to happen for AR and, um, and um, you know, VR to really make it out into like our day-to-day lives? So, I mean, obviously, you know, Christmas just passed. As much as I wanted to, I didn't get, you know, an augmented reality set, you know. Um, what do you think needs to happen for us to be you know, leveraging these, these technologies, whether it's content or hardware price points, uh, love your, your thoughts on, you know, what's going to move it forward. Yeah, it's a good question. And I think it's a very different question when we're talking consumer versus we're talking about healthcare applications. Um, and I'll focus on the healthcare application side because I'm not a consumer person, uh, or consumer investor, you know, on the healthcare side, the willingness to pay as long as you get results is there. So I think the price point in terms of needing to come down to this, you know, sub $300 price point or, or whatever they're talking about in the consumer world is less of an issue. Um, so, you know, Magic Leap, for example, a company out of Florida um, with very, very expensive, but apparently just terrific technology. I've not demoed them. Um, mm-hmm. wouldn't, would be at a price point that actually could be fine in healthcare if we show the um, return on investment. And, you know, I think that's what's key. So I think one of the things that is holding back um, augmented reality or virtual reality in healthcare is just that it's not standard of care yet. Uh, and that the body of evidence that needs to be generated in order to make it standard of care will take a long time, right? Because those are rigorous, placebo-controlled, double-blind, uh, maybe not placebo-controlled, but at least double-blind and, and maybe an active control uh, with a robust number of patients. So that just takes a while. You know, you wait for those outcomes, do the analysis, et cetera. So I, I think it's more of a time issue in terms of generating the data than it is a price point issue. You know, of course, if the price point is cheap enough, the amount of data that you need is lower, right? Because it's obviously a cost benefit. Um, you know, I, I, I would suspect that there's not a huge risk here. So, you know, I would suspect that if it doesn't work, it just doesn't work. And that's a bummer, not that it does any harm. Um, So, you know, again, from kind of an evidence perspective and a return on investment perspective, that needs to be taken into account. And that will also lower the bar a little bit. Um, But I think, you know, as an investor and looking at what a company's pricing model would be in that space, you know, that's where it gets a little bit tricky. Um, So the technology is less of the issue in terms of, you know, you can get the technology placed and do it as kind of an outpatient, almost like um, TMS for depression and other transmagnetic 
stimulation for the brain um, is, you know, mm-hmm. being used. So you could do it. You have people come in, have a session, leave. So you could just have some devices, you know, in house. Maybe when VR gets distributed, very, um, you know, very equally, kind of across the population, you do it as an outpatient. But how do you charge? Right? It's software. So at the end of the day, it's zero marginal cost for additional uses. So does that mean, you know? a patient gets charged several thousand dollars and anytime they want to use it, they can. Do you do it on almost a prescription basis, a pill basis? Every time you, you know, log in and and do one of these exercises, you pay, um, you know, or something kind of in between. I don't know. And I think that's where it gets a little bit tricky. Mm Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. No, I appreciate that perspective, and I, I think that's a that's a great way to you know codify uh, the market, the product, the problems that you know um, these technologies will solve on the healthcare realm. Uh, you, you mentioned something important right, about like you know building up of data, and I and just to join that concept with you know your your uh, comment earlier about uh, AI, which obviously is a you know. And a huge emerging technology. I think you are in, you and I are on the same page, and that there's a lot of hype cycle, um, you know, around AI, and it's really about what problem does it solve? What you know, how how is the company using it? How is the product being used um, using AI to solve a problem? Is there one or two use cases that you know in AI that you're wanting to see more of, or some something that really intrigues you as a use case that excites you? Uh, about AI and, and a, a problem that it's solving in healthcare. Yeah, absolutely. Many. So I think, you know, the, the first thing that most people don't understand is it's so common to hear um, healthcare data talked about as being very valuable. And everybody you talk to mm-hmm. says, you know, oh, and we're going to, you know, have this data set and it's going to be terrific. Or, you know, we're valuable because of, you know, we have access to X data set or, or whatever. But people really focus on um, on the number of records or whatever. And, and that's what is creating the value in healthcare data. And what they don't realize is that 80% of healthcare data is currently unmachinable, which means mm-hmm. it's unstructured. And when you have unstructured data, you cannot machine it. You can't interrogate it. You can't do analytics on it. You can't. And so while maybe the data is very valuable, you can't actually unlock any of the value until you can machine that data and be able to interrogate that data. Um, And so, you know, one of the first use cases for machine learning or artificial intelligence in healthcare is just being turning unstructured data into structured data and thus then being able to machine it. So there are many use cases for that. You know, there's a company down in LA called Deep Six, um, which is in all of these companies, by the way, are not portfolio companies. So I'm not trying to kind of bias the discussion in one way or another. But sure, you know, what, sure. what Deep Six is doing is they're basically saying, okay, one of the biggest problems in development of new treatments today, whether it's drugs, devices, et cetera, is clinical trials, right? Clinical trials are often delayed because enrollment is such a big problem. Well, why is enrollment a problem? Because you need to identify the patients and get them in, et cetera. How do they identify patients now in a very analog basis, either through chart reviews or just, you know, 
or direct to consumer or just whatever. It's it's not well optimized at all. Um, so what Deep Six can do is they can basically put their um, ontology in their machine learning system into a big provider and mine all of the medical records in that provider to an extremely fine grain detail because again they're turning that unstructured data into structured data so you're not just looking at you know patient demographics on Yashis born you know whatever this medical condition you know you're really getting into the nitty-gritty of of the health record from the note section. And so they're then using that to extract all of the patients that could be eligible and, you know, give you a list to, um, to really go after that's a high quality list. And so, you know, potentially decrease the time of enrollment 20 X, right? If you mm-hmm. decrease the time of enrollment 20 X, you could bring drugs to the market, you know, a year, two years earlier than, than currently, maybe even more. So that's, um, one use case for structuring unstructured data. Um, the other use case is, you know, you look at companies like One Medical, which is a concierge medicine, sort of concierge primary care provider in um, the Bay Area, or you look at Clover Health, right, which is doing incredible okay. things um, in the Medicare population uh, management. They are, their infrastructure is built in a way that it can that it can make use of a lot of analytics and other tools that existing companies can't just because of the way they built their backends, et cetera. But if they don't have data to actually interrogate, it it doesn't matter how they're built. It doesn't matter that these analytics tools that they might want to use exist. So, you know, it would allow in the case of one medical, for example, um, you could ask questions, their people could ask questions of their population like, okay, return to me all patients over age 50 who have never had a colonoscopy. Um, Mm -hmm. You'd think that would be easy today. It's not because that information really is in the structure, in the unstructured section, Um, you know, or return to me all patients who have a family history of cancer and have not had a mammogram, family history of breast cancer, not a mammogram. Just questions like that, um, that this, you know, machine learning or artificial intelligence and allowing you to structure unstructured data can then help. Mm. No, this is great, Anya. And so just to play that back, uh, uh, structured data is important. You know, if, if, if a company or a product is in the AI machine learning space, um, its ability to... Um, have a solution that structures that data, can make decisions based on that data, and obviously have a, a lot of relevant data um, to funnel through its algorithms and through its uh, data science uh, is critical and important. Um, and yeah, I, I believe, yeah, you cited some really great examples, uh, Anya. I really, really appreciate that. Um, Anya, you know, um, I know, you know, we keep the, uh, try and keep these calls, you know, or I should say these shows, um, you know, less than probably 30 minutes or so. So, I probably have time for, you know, maybe one more question. Um, I, I guess what is, um, if, if you didn't address it already, you know, what is something that you currently believe um, um, that has not been proven yet? Or, you know, what's something that you believe that uh, other people may view as being uh, insane? So I'd I love to uh, ask that to our guests. Uh, you know, usually it renders some really great, great answers. 
Yeah. So I think um, so two things that I'll mention. Uh, one is, well, the first is that clinical data or clinical history on patients is actually only responsible for you know, less than half of predictability in terms of health outcomes, and that environmental and social um, determinants are equally, if not more so, predictive of, of health outcome. And I, I don't think that's particularly controversial, but I think what you do about that and the role that, that those other um, determinants have in somebody's long-term health is really important uh, and is not focused on all that much, even among population health companies or um, other companies like that. So I think you know one thing that maybe people aren't realizing as much, but collecting all of the data and being able to really understand, um, really understand the impact that that has on health and be able to change it and um, you know, and just impact it is really important. And the reason I bring that up is because there are so many people out there that I hear talking about health as purely a computational problem. Uh-huh. And, you know, if we get enough baseline healthcare data, you know, if we had all of your lab values every day for the past, you know, 10 years, then we would be able to predict when you're going to get sick and, and, you know, all of these other things, or, you know, that it's just a matter of computation. And, you know, now that computation is basically free, uh, you know, because the cost is coming down so fast that we can approach healthcare in a, and in a purely engineering sense. Um, Mm -hmm. and while I think that there are some sub segments of healthcare and, you know, particularly, you know, subsegments of specific diseases where that might be true. In general, I I sort of recoil a little bit against that because those you know clinical determinants are so little of the overall puzzle. Um, mm-hmm. And so I think you know that maybe sets me apart from a lot of my venture colleagues. Um, so that's number one. And then number two, you know, I think in general. If I look at where I think healthcare is going, you know, in the in the '90s we saw this big transition um, on the financial side from people getting uh, pensions, you know, defined benefit, to people getting right. 401ks, defined contribution, and you know, it really changed the financial landscape pretty significantly and created all sorts of different opportunities for, you know, new businesses that are now terrifically successful, et cetera. I think we're going through that exact same thing right now in healthcare, where we used to have a defined benefit healthcare system in the US, and we're really going to define contribution. And, you know, that's creating radical changes in how people think about paying for healthcare, how people think about their responsibility towards their own healthcare. Um, and it's not only leading towards the consumerization, a little bit of healthcare, which I think is important, um, but it's also changing the relationship that providers have, that your doctors, nurses, et cetera, have. So they're going to become more, I think, like health advisors, you know, similar to the wealth advisor that you might have at your bank or you know, mm-hmm. Schwab or, or whomever you use. 
And so, you know, that relationship going from sick care, you know, they don't necessarily advise me overall, but I go in and I have strep throat and they give me antibiotics and, you know, terrific um, to to one of um, really kind of coaching and advising and, and taking a more kind of holistic view. And, and I think that's going to change the medical profession pretty profoundly uh, in terms of, you know, what skills are needed in terms of how many are needed in terms, you know, all sorts of implications. But I, I think we'll see that change. And it'll be an interesting one to see. Anya, th- this was this was great. Yeah, no, I think you highlighted some, you know, two important worlds just from the, you know, the beginning of our conversation here of, um, you know, the, the new definition of reality, um, you know, and, you know, obviously the AI component, and then kind of ending off here with the societal environmental shifts, you know, all of these, uh, you know, feel like they're, they're just beyond, you know, new technology trends, but they're, they're definitely, you know, it's new technologies that are off ushering in, you know, uh, societal shifts, but new mindsets and new philosophies of how we look at our own personal health and how we, how we'll, we'll start to interface with healthcare so much differently than w- that we've done. I like your analogy on the defined contribution, uh, as well, that, that does feel, you know, right. That, 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 that's exactly what we're going to be experiencing more of Anya. Um, this was fabulous. Uh, love to have you back on the show and, you know, to talk about other further things. I'm sure there's so many other topics, uh, in health that we can talk about. And, um, you know, it's, it's just such an exciting space and it's so refreshing to have you on the show, Anya. Um, what's a good way for our listeners to get in touch with you, um, or interact with you online? Yeah. So, um, if there are companies to introduce us to, we focus in healthcare infrastructure software. So really kind of the plumbing behind healthcare. So whether that's, you know, data interoperability claims, security, you know, all of those types of issues or, um, chief marketing officer focused, uh, technologies, um, pitch at healthy.vc, um, is a good way. I'm Twitter at Anya, although I have to say, I don't tweet all that often. Um, but I should, my new year's resolution is to, to do a little bit better. Um, so those are probably the two easiest. Um, you can email me directly, but I'm. If you looked at my phone, you would realize how many unread emails I actually have. Um, but my direct email is Anya at healthy.vc. Um, but again, easier to go through pitch because then it gets sorted for me and and comes to me. Um, and yeah, great, that's my best. Great. Well, Anya, thanks. Thanks for doing this. I know we're just coming back from the new year, but um, great way to kick off the new year with, uh, you know, thought leadership in these topics and, and no better uh, than, than, than you to, to lead these conversations. So because uh, you see so much of it. Uh, Anya, this was great. Uh, thank you so much. We'd love to have you back eventually. So thanks, everyone. Uh, this was, uh, I think, episode six or seven of the Pop Health Show. Uh, and share it with your friends. And um, if you have other topic ideas and guest ideas, you know, feel free to send them our way. Um, this is Anthony with um, with uh, founder CEO of Health Hero signing out. All right, thanks.